and friends as, as uh, our children are headed out to Children's Church, um, as children are headed to the nursery, we invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Judges. You know, so as we're turning there, we're going to be in Judges. We're, we're, we're kind of taking a flyby at 30,000 feet because the ju- book of Judges is kind of a big book. And there's a lot to it. And each chapter is, is a little long. And so we are, uh, we're not uh, trying to go word by word this morning. We are, we are taking a, a bigger glance at the book of Judges and asking the question, why is it essential and important for our Christian lives? You know, something I've figured out in life, uh, life does not always tell us the consequences of our decisions. I think, I had, I, I think I'm still learning that, um, but, but it seems like even from an early age I've been learning that life does not always tell us the consequences for our decisions. We, we see this in kids all the time. How often does something break in the house because a kid was throwing something, or knowing it was against the rules, but they didn't realize that they would knock over the clock and break it? They didn't realize they were going to hit some fine china and it would smash? They didn't realize that by, by roughhousing they would break their sibling's arm. Uh, but they know the rule that they went to roughhouse inside. They, they knew the rule that they shouldn't throw things inside. Friends, life does not always tell us the consequences for our decisions. It's true with, uh, as adults too, right? It's especially true in our sin. Today in our passage, we will see that sin always takes us further than we intend it to go, and it doesn't tell us of all the consequences, and so we must be careful to trust God and His continued faithfulness in our lives. So if you are, are joining us for the first time in a while, welcome back. Uh, what we do every single week is, is we open up God's Word, we read it, we think about it, we apply it to our lives. And, and because Daryl did such a great job of reading the majority of our passage, I'm going to be referring to it, but I'm hoping you're going to have the passage open to, uh, to what we're looking at. We're going to be in Judges chapter 1, verses 16 through chapter 2, verse 15. I know it says something different in the order of service. I, I forgot to change that this week. So it's chapter 1, verse 16, through chapter 2, verse 15. And remember, Judges is a book in the Old Testament that's, that's named after this collection of writings about individuals who led Israel after Joshua's death until Israel got a king. And remember, these judges should be viewed as deliverers or saviors of their people. Their role wasn't to judge what was right and wrong. Their role was to save. Their job was to deliver their people. And so, as we are going through the book of Judges, we should remember that we should see these judges not as heroes of the faith, but often with too little faith towards Yahweh. Each judge shows us that we need a better Savior. We actually believe that we live in a fallen world and, and, our, and we ourselves have helped make it that way and that we aren't enough, that we need help, that we need a Savior. And so when we all do what is right in our own eyes, things go wrong. And so the book of Judges is a book that shows us that we need a king to guide us, but we also need a Savior to deliver us. 
and not just any Savior will do. And we have our verse of the series that we are practicing, memorizing, that's going to give us a, a, a good summary and aid as we are studying the book of Judges together. And it's Judges chapter 21, verse 25. You should see that on the screen. Let's actually say it together out loud. Let's say this verse to each other and remind each other of the truth of Judges. Here it is. Let's say it together. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Oh, how true that is. Let me pray for our time in God's word. Lord, we ask that through Judges 1 and 2, you would help us to remind each other of, of your goodness, of your faithfulness, of your consistent love. And, and, and Father, we pray that, that we would weep when, when we forget it, when we disobey your word. And when we don't trust you, God, help us to be broken over our sin and help us to see Jesus as our great Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let me give you the big idea today. So if, if you are unable to stay the whole time, let, let me give you what we want you to walk away with. Here's the big idea of the portion of Scripture we're looking at. Friends, continually remind yourself and others of the faithful work of God or be ready to weep when we forget. We need to continually remind ourselves and others of the faithful work of God or we need to be ready to weep when we forget God's faithful work. So we're going to look at, at our passage kind of in three sections. Verses 16 to 26, this dispersion of the land. We're going to look at verses 27 to 36 of chapter 1, this incomplete conquest. And then we're going to take the first half of chapter 2 and look at Israel's unfaithfulness. So, so in verses 16 to 26, this dispersion of the land. One thing that we can say is that life's always complicated. I wish it were always just black and white, but there seems to be constant complications. And that's certainly what we see with the case of Israel. In verses 16 to 21, I think we could describe this even as a complicated conquest. Uh, look, at, look at that with me. The things that make it complicated are, are things like verse 16. And what we see is, is this phrase, that they settled with the people. And then other complications are verse 17. And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Zephath and devoted it to destruction. Okay, so sometimes they settled with the people. Sometimes they devoted it to destruction. Some of the times, even in verse 19, we see some encouraging things like, And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, which, which sounds really great. It sounds like God is with them, and they, are, they seem to be doing the right things. But we see that all of this is actually a problem as we keep reading. Remember, Israel was commanded by God to give a complete conquest of the land. Israel, in the promised land, was by the grace of God. They weren't there because they had earned it, but because God was providing a place for God's people so they might know Him and serve Him. That they had been rescued out of slavery 
They had been given to God as his treasured possession, and they had been given this land. And so it's helpful to remember uh, that what happened in the Old Testament is often a description, not always a prescription. Okay, God was calling the people of Israel to live in certain ways under their covenant with Yahweh. But it does not mean that God is prescribing us today to act in that same way. Mainly, God is not calling Christians today to devote people to complete destruction. Okay, that's not what God is calling us to do. God's people are not actually even defined by a certain land today because the kingdom of God doesn't have geographical borders. The people of God are defined by the Spirit of God indwelling them and their confession of Jesus as Lord and we are all over the world. And we begin to see a clearer picture in verse 21 of our passage, of chapter 1. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. Now we see no reason to think that it was because they had superior technology. Well, we have nothing to indicate their inability to do so. But what we should begin to see is their desire to do what was easier was stronger than to obey God. Friends, I think this is, the book of Judges is actually a cautionary tale and a warning to us. If we would rather do what is easy instead of what is right, then we probably have the same heart issue that we see going on here. If we would rather do what seems right in our own eyes, this is a cautionary warning to remember that as Christians we belong to God because we are blood-bought by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and we are called to obey God as a result. Christian, part of the reason Israel was to be separated from the nations around them was that they were to be a living picture of who God is to the rest of the world. In that sense, Christian, we have that same call. We are to be living pictures of God to the world around us. So if we were to take a look at the highlight reel of our lives last week, what would your highlight reel reveal about what we communicate to the world about God, who we love and who we serve? In what ways are we thankful that God has been at work in our, in our lives through us? In what ways do we think that we ought to change and make some priorities? Friends, the reality is that life is always complicated. And that's true even with Israel. Notice what we see in verses 22 to 26. In verse 22, the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. What an encouraging phrase. That this is the second time when it says that the Lord was with them in this passage. Uh, we, we saw it first in verse 19, and the Lord was with Judah. And it seems though, in this moment, these tribes were faithfully following the Lord. In verse 25, we see, And they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all of his family go. Let's continue to see the picture of when there was no king in Israel. Friends, we need to continually remind ourselves and others of the faithful work of God, or we need to be ready to weep when we forget about God's faithfulness. Let's jump to verses 27 to 36, this incomplete conquest. 
there's this repeated phrase that we need to highlight in this section. Look at it with me. Look, look at verse 27. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. Jump to verse 28. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. This is a historical description, but it's a theological description also. This is a historical description. It's what happened, but it's a theological description because it shows the priority of each of these 12 tribes of Israel. So don't get caught up in the names. Get caught up in the description of what's happening in the passage. Look at verse 29. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. In verse 30, Zebulon did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Mahalal. In verse 31, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko or the inhabitants of Sidon or Ahab or Ashzib or, or Helbah or Afik or of Rehab. Look at verse 33 with me. In verse 33, Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Bethanoth. Look at verse 34. The Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down to the plain. The Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Herez, in Ajalon, and in Shahalabim. But the hand of the house of Joseph rested heavily on them, and they became subject to forced labor. Well, why were they subject to forced labor? Because they had not driven them out of the land. These are both historical statements and theological statements. God's promised land was to be holy. God's people were to be holy, separated. Think of how God's people, when they were enslaved in Egypt, they were not to just worship God where they were. They were to be separate from Egypt where they were to worship and live before God. This isn't an implied idea. God actually explicitly commanded Israel in this way. Think of Deuteronomy chapter 7. It says this, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it, the promised land, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Gugashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall break down their altars, and dash in pieces their pillars, and chop down their ashram, and burn their carved images with fire. God is saying, Israel, if you want to be my covenant people, you cannot be serving other gods. Yahweh alone is who Israel is supposed to serve. And so it's not implied, it's explicit by God to Israel for how they were to live in the land. During the period of Judges, there was no physical king, 
But what we begin to see is, and more importantly, there was no spiritual king either. The result was everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Friends, the reality is that God saves for transformation. God's people in God's place were freed from their slavery for the worship of God. But it wasn't simply a 24-7 worship service. Certainly Israel had worship services, but to worship God with all of who they are, right, with all of their soul, might, strength, was how they lived before God. Israel was to live lives that reflected their covenant with the God of the universe. Christians, God's people today, we have been forgiven by the death and resurrection of Jesus. We are called to gather with God's people, but our entire lives are to reflect the holy God that we serve. Our lives are to reflect having been freed from the penalty of our sin and be transformed into the people of God. And so our actions in our lives are a reflection of our hearts. Our actions in our lives are not separate from what we love. Our actions in our lives are a reflection of what we love. That's why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So to read that Israel had entered the promised land, had been freed and rescued and, and brought into covenant relationship with the God of the universe, to see all that God had done for them, to know explicitly what God had commanded for them, to see that Israel had entered the promised land but wasn't fulfilling what they were commanded to do by God, it, it should be heartbreaking for us. It ought to make us weep. Think of all that God had done for them. God chose them. God made promises to them. He made a covenant with them through Abraham in Genesis 15. If you remember that passage, God tells Abraham to, to, to gather a bunch of these animals and he slaughters them. He cuts them in half and he puts them on either side of each other. And then God walks between those animals that have been split and God says, may it be done so to me if I do not uphold the promises I'm making to you. This is the level of, of commitment that God has with Israel. And then God rescues Israel out of Egypt by his outstretched arm. He brings them out of slavery to himself. And he makes a new covenant with them. And they are God's treasured possession. He gives them everything that they need. He gives them the law so they can righteously live before God. Even in their sin... God was patient. When they disobeyed God uh, and they wouldn't go into the promised land, God sustained them for 40 years in the wilderness. Now Yahweh has brought them into the promised land and commanded them on what to do, and they don't do it. It ought to make us weep over their choices. Israel wasn't rescued from slavery to disobey God. They were rescued from their slavery to be transformed as they lived for God. Something equally heartbreaking today 
would be people who are forgiven through the death and resurrection of Jesus, but, but then live lives just as if we are still enslaved to sin. When we say, Jesus is my Savior, but continue to love the world that lives in darkness. How heartbreaking it is when people say, Jesus, be king of my life, but actually only over that part because I still want to do what feels good to me. It ought to make us weep when we say Jesus is king, but we still just want to do what's right in our own eyes. It should make our hearts wrench inside, and it should make us weep. Friends, the, the glorious news is that God, through the work of Jesus, has, has not written his law on stone tablets, but has written them on our hearts by giving us his spirit so that those who are united to Jesus' death and resurrection by faith do not need to be foreign to God, do not need to disobey God, but by his spirit can be led to live for God, can, can actually fulfill exactly what Israel was supposed to do, which was being a living picture of what it meant to know the God of the universe. Friends, we can do that by the spirit that God has given us when we are united to Jesus by faith. What glorious news that even in our rebellion, God has not dismissed us, but has provided a way of escape in Jesus. God has actually rescued us from our sin fully and finally so that we can live for him. What great news that is. And so friends, we need to continually remind ourselves and others of the faithful work of God. Or we need to be ready to weep when we forget. Let's look at this last part. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 15. Israel's unfaithfulness. You know, wisdom uh, I received once is that you cannot stand next to the mud puddle without eventually being splashed. If you're next to the mud long enough, sooner or later, you're going to get splashed. It's going to affect you. And this is exactly what we'll see with the people of Israel in the Promised Land. By their decision to disobey God, it will affect them. Notice what the angel of the Lord says to them. And if you're wondering who the angel of the Lord is, there's a difference in the Old Testament between an angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord. And you can see that here, because the angel of the Lord is Yahweh, who is speaking, and he says, I have brought you out of slavery. Okay, so the angel of the Lord is saying this, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the promised land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. God, as the angel of the Lord, is saying, Look at all that I have done for you, and yet you have disobeyed my word. Now, certainly the people of Israel didn't intend for all of that to happen by their choices. But the reality is that they have rejected God's word. Therefore, they have rejected God. The warning to us this morning is that sin always takes us further than we want to go. 
We never fully know the consequences of our sin. Thankfully, God does. We do not know all of what would happen by our choices. That's one reason why sin is deceitful. Right? Temptation is like a worm on a hook. The fish sees the beautiful worm, and he's hungry, and he wants the worm, and he thinks, oh, how awesome! There's this worm just floating here! But little does he know that there's a hook behind it. Friends, that's how temptation works in our own lives. We see things that, we, that are shiny, that we think we want, that we think we need. We just don't always realize the consequences of those choices. Sin always takes us further than we want to go. But friends, we don't have to know every result. We are instead to trust with God with what he calls us to do, and we can know that it would be better to do what he has called us to than for whatever workaround we think we have because we think we know better or think we could come up with a better result. So it always takes us further than we want to go because we don't always realize the consequences of our choices. Notice the consequences for Israel's disobedience. They didn't stop being the people of God, but God's work in their life and on their behalf for them had stopped. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. Not only will they be like rocks in your shoes and thorns in your sides, their gods will ensnare you. They will capture you. They will enslave you. And you will not know the freedom and joy that it is to walk in God's ways. But they will be yoked in slavery to false gods. God saying, if you love them so much, I will give them to you. What a terrifying warning that is. It's almost as if at once the people of Israel in our passage had a moment of clarity. They, they heard God speak. They realized what they had done. And appropriately in verse 4, look at me, the people lifted up their voices and they wept. They wept over what they realized that they had done. And then they sacrificed to Yahweh. Making sacrifices to Yahweh isn't a bad thing. But we know that God doesn't simply want our outward actions. He wants our hearts that drive our choices. Think of, think of Psalm 51. Right? It says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it, David says. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. No, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And as we read through the book of Judges, what we're going to see is that's the one thing Israel doesn't give to Yahweh. Then in verses 6 through 15 of chapter 2, the author kind of takes a step back and explains how did Israel get there? But there's always steps that lead to our decisions and actions. Well, I did this because I believed this and I had done this previously. And I did this step because I believed this and had done this previously. Right? There's always steps 
There's always a pathway of our actions and decisions. What were Israel's steps? Well, verse 7, it says, when Joshua was leading Israel, verse 7 says the people served the Lord. Even when Joshua died, the elders who were with Joshua at the time that had outlived him and had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel, even at that time, the people of Israel served the Lord. But we feel the shift of the wind in verse 10, don't we? Look at verse 10. Well, we get a sense of the change that's happening. In verse 10, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Well, there it is. There's the recipe. There, there's the change. The, that's how they got there. That's how Israel did not obey the voice of God. They didn't know the voice of God. They didn't remember all that God had done for them. But interestingly enough, the first step of the problem isn't that there was a generation that did not know the Lord. It's actually before that. It's actually that there was a generation that didn't do what was necessary so that the next generation knew what Yahweh had done for them. Look, a lot can be said about a generation that did not know of God's faithfulness. If they didn't know what had happened before, it makes sense that they didn't realize that they could trust Yahweh. We get that. You don't know what you don't know. The real issue is that the generation that had seen the great work of the Lord that had been on behalf of Israel, they had experienced it and they didn't pass on that important work to the next generation. You guys see that? Even when they were commanded to do so. If you read Deuteronomy 6 this afternoon, you see that it's the command of God to Israel to, to when they sit and when they rise, when they get up, when they go out, they are to be, to be sharing all of who they are as a people with the next generation. In fact, in Deuteronomy 6.20, it says this, When your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were fellow slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. A major part of what it means to be God's people is to recount again and again and again of God's faithfulness towards his people so that what God has done in the past will influence our trust in him today. We're always one generation away from the good news of Jesus being lost among us. See, it's not just enough for us to believe the trustworthiness of God. It's not just enough for us to live rightly before God if we fail to pass on that reality and knowledge to the next generation. Now, we can't guarantee 
that our children are going to be walking with the Lord. That, that's a mercy of God. We can't force them to follow Jesus all of their days. But what we can do is we can make, make much of every single moment and, and faithfully expose them to God's faithfulness so that the next generation is not without knowing God's good work. Friends, in what ways? Do you invest in the next generation so that the gospel isn't lost? In what ways do we need to embody the truth of God's faithfulness so that remembering his promises is seen and is evidence in just how we even live? What are ways we do this as a church? We hope that it's, it's all over the place, actually. It's why some of our core values are faithful preaching. Every Sunday we want to remember and recount the faithfulness of God. That's why deep discipleship is a big part of what we value as a church is because we don't want anyone to be without knowing the faithfulness of God. It's why we are committed to neighborly evangelism. is because we want even our neighbors and those around us to know the good work of God. That's why we are committed to joyous living. It's because we think that the work of God in saving us by His mercy and by His grace, not because we have earned it or deserved it, but because God is merciful and kind and loving, we think that should bring a joy to our Christian lives. It's why we are committed to passionate worship, that something so great is not something that we just keep hidden. It's something that we, that we passionately worship the Lord for His work. It's why we're committed to, to humbly loving others. Because we see a picture of God humbly sending Jesus down to earth, leaving the glories of heaven to put on human flesh, to be one of us, so that He could be our substitute on the cross. We want every aspect of our church lives together to recount and remember the promises of God, the acts and power of God, so that they would influence how we can live faithfully today. Look at Israel's result in our passage. Because they did not know Yahweh and they did not remember His faithfulness, the result is that the people of Israel abandoned Yahweh they served false gods of the Canaanites. They provoked God to anger. And God gave Israel over to those who would be slaves to them. Instead of the hand of the Lord going out for them, like he did in Egypt, now when Israel went out against their enemies, the word says, the Lord was against let that just sit heavy on our hearts for a moment. It almost sounds really similar to what we, what we read in the New Testament. Uh, that, 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 that's quoting Proverbs, right? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The ultimate result, look at that last phrase. Look at the last phrase in verse 15. And they were in terrible distress. 
Well, it sounds very similar to their slavery in Egypt, doesn't it? In, in Exodus 2, we read, And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. But this time, in the book of Judges, this slavery is of their own doing. This distress is the result of their own rebellion against God. Friends, think about this for a moment. Christian, this description is closer to when we are walking in sin as people who confess true things about God but simply disobey Him more than it's a description of non-Christians. Do you guys see this? These are people who, who are covenanted with God. They have chosen to disobey God's word. This slavery and their distress is of their own doing. And so we are called to be all the more vigilant, to remember, recite, recount the faithful work of God so that we do not walk back into slavery ourselves. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, whoa, what did I walk into today? Maybe you're here and you're not actually sure where you stand with Jesus. Maybe you're not sure whether he's your savior, whether you're not, who knows where you might be. But I want you to see this, friend. Living apart from God never gives us the results that we want. Do you see that? Even Israel, who, who knew God, who was covenanted with God, had forgotten God. And the result was not what they had hoped. They didn't realize all the consequences of what it meant to disobey God. But they're, they're experiencing a lot of those consequences. But what we see is that living apart from God will never give us the results that we want. It's why Israel, when they heard what God had done, when they, went, when they heard the voice from God and realized what they had done, that's why they wept. They realized what was going on. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I invite you to come and, and to know God because life is not going to be all that you need apart from Him. We realize what God has done for us because we need Him. Come to, to know God like Israel is called to do. Like Christians are called to do where we can remember and know the freedom of knowing God. Friends, we are called to continually remind ourselves and others of the faithful work of God or we need to be ready to weep when we forget. Because we will see that living apart from God never gives us the results that we want. Even though we do not always know the end result of our sinful choices, we can trust that, that God's mercy through Jesus extends beyond even our worst choices. The, the great news of the gospel is that sin doesn't win. Our rebellion doesn't outpower God. But God in his mercy calls us back to himself he says, if you'll turn to me, I will work freshly in your lives. 
What an important word for us as we start a new year, as we think about what it means to walk faithfully as Christians. Wherever we are, in ways that we have been disobedient towards God, where we have forgotten the faithfulness of God, that have been led us to make choices that are not faithful towards God, let us remember that if we hear His voice, which is Him calling us back to Himself, He promises that if we turn to Him, He will renew us. He will work in us by His Spirit. And we can once again know the joy of following Jesus. Friend, if that's you, come talk to me afterward. I'd love to, to, to walk with you and explore with you what does it mean to, to freshly know and follow King Jesus once again. We do not always know the consequences of our sin, but we can trust God who has already made remedy for our sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's easy to point a finger and to say, but we would not be like Israel. But too often, our hearts are very much like Israel's. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, in fact, change us uh, by your Spirit, remind us of your faithful love, of your faithful acts of faithfulness, that we would trust you and follow you. Oh Lord, would, would you do that good work in our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.